0: Amen. Today is um, it's just one of those uh, odd messages that I think is uh, indicative of the Lord opening another measure of understanding for the saints, particularly for the end times. And um, you know, during the the ice storm that hit, <laughs> uh, I, I, the first day I was kind of troubled about, you know, I wonder how the church is doing, hope, hope the power didn't go out, and the locks on the doors aren't, aren't open because the power went out, and, and then I realized I couldn't really go anywhere. Well, I could have, but you know the way it is driving on Texas streets when the ice is. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about everybody else. And uh, so I just didn't want to mess with it. But then the next morning, I, I pretty much just said, okay, Father, I'm going to be at home this morning. I just want to just sit and listen to you. And it was really interesting what the Lord started to speak about. He started to speak in ways that I was not familiar with. He was talking about the flow pattern of what's going on in these end times, and what what is happening in the nations. And he said some things about America that were really startling to me. Um, but I also know that what he said was in alignment with what God has put on our hearts to do as saints. And so then, yesterday morning, when we were here, freezing in the sanctuary, I I kept hearing the phrase um, "I've given space to repent," and of course, immediately, you know that that phrase is just rare in the Bible. I mean, it's it's uh, it's found in uh, in the Book of Revelation when Jesus was speaking to the church about the churches, and so when i got home and thought out i studied and started really praying and studying about why the lord would direct me to that so the long and short of it is is that i spent a couple of hours looking at this idea of the seven churches and what it what it really means for us and what it means for the Lord to have begun the book of Revelation with this rather odd telling of these seven churches. And we've studied this from a number of different angles before. You know, we've looked at it from the, the prospect of the risen Lord, we've looked at it from the prospect of, you know, the candlesticks, we've looked at it from the prospect of the seven spirits, being that there are seven of those churches. We've, we've looked at a number of aspects of this, and that's all been good. God's been training and teaching us about different factors within there. But what, what I began to see yesterday, I'd never, really, I'd never really considered before, which is always a nice thing. Uh, when God brings fresh revelation and it, it builds upon what you've, what you've already received together from the Word, that, that's always a wonderful thing. And so we're going to talk particularly about the church at Thyatira, uh, which is the uh, the fourth church there. But before we do, uh, I want you to look at this wonderful color map on the back of uh, this sheet, page, page two. Thank you, Ruby, for printing this. Now, it is a little blurred. Ruby showed me this before, and I said, go ahead and print it anyway. So don't think that your eyes are playing tricks on you there as you look at it. Um, and let me let me tell you why I think the Lord talked about these seven churches. You notice that He didn't He didn't speak about Antioch. He didn't speak about Jerusalem. He didn't speak about Corinth. He didn't speak about Galatia. He didn't speak about any of the other amazing churches that are listed in the Scripture. So why did He point out these seven? And why particularly from John's vantage point at patmos did did he choose to speak about this and so i think that there are two factors here number 1 we're going to talk about what these seven churches represent because they are all connected and they're connected in a very tangible way and and as you see them you recognize that this is this is really how the world works and then after we talk about that, you'll, you'll be able to understand that as you read about each of the seven churches, what Jesus is saying and how he describes himself is addressing the particular nuance of what that church represents. And so there are so many factors with these seven. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. You, you've got, you've got, it's it's like, different circles of understanding, and each one of them are powerful, and they all circle around the theme of how we're to represent God, particularly in these last days. And so maybe, I don't know this, I've got to pray about it, maybe we'll do something further with uh, Fourth Seminar what each of these churches represent pertaining to what our world is today and the factors that Jesus addresses, particularly who he is in regard to them, what the enemy's trying to do in regard to those factors, because we need to know this. Um, So it's not that the Lord just picked out these seven churches and said these extreme things and we can just cherry pick insights about, I'm coming as a thief, you know, watch, or you've left your first love, or those are all great. I mean, haven't we enjoyed studying about what that means? Uh, You know, the Laodiceans, you know, you, you guys are so opulent, you know, you just, you need to recognize that you need a new covering from the Lord. And, and if you don't have a covering, your eyes need to be anointed. If you don't have that anointing and that covering, you're never going to make it. I mean, those are great messages. But the reality of why the Lord chose these seven is is something that we need to see. And he earmarks these seven churches because they really do form how Satan moves in any civilization, in any framework. So let's talk about this and then we'll look at Thyatira and why the Lord is wanting us to particularly consider them today. We know and those of you who slept through history, just stick with me here for a minute. We know that um, there was a man named Alexander the Great. He rose up out of basically uh, Greece, and he conquered. He conquered not only the known world, but he conquered places in the east that were just barbaric, and you, you have so many traditions of who he was, and you know, he he. At the end of his life, he he uh, was very troubled because there were no more worlds to conquer. Uh, he was an an astounding, astounding warrior, and he was a young man. But nobody, nobody in the history in the recorded history of humans, really was a conqueror like he was. And it it just I'm not I'm not glorifying him. I'm just stating a fact. When he died, and he died as a young man, he didn't really leave an heir. He didn't leave anybody to give his kingdom to. And what you see here in that map of Asia Minor, that's basically, basically the country of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And um, when Alexander died, a lot of his a lot of his leaders in the places that he that he had conquered in the Hellenistic society, um, the Greek-speaking world, then penetrated all all over the earth, or uh, the known earth, and so those that scrambled to take power in the areas where he had conquered, uh, this is one of those areas, and the group of people that began to rule set up their their rulership in this city, Pergamon. And uh, even though that's not the first church that Jesus spoke to, it was the ruling city of these seven churches. And Pergamon, or Pergamos, was um, really supposed to be aligned with Athens, and you can see that on a map. It was supposed to be the Athens of the east, and um, it's very interesting that the, the demonic structure of the Grecians really took a foothold there in Pergamon. Now, you notice that Jesus spoke about the throne of Satan being in Pergamos. And um, what he speaks to the church at Pergamos was, was very, very specific concerning what I just told you. There was a man named Antipas, you see him listed there, who was known, and the Greek Orthodox Church kept this history. I think some of the things they said about him, you know, it was just added to but there was a man, and Jesus speaks about my martyr Antipas, and he was the bishop of the church at Pergamos. And um, he ruled during the time, he didn't rule, he he ministered during the time when Nero was the leader of Rome. And Nero was a nut job, as you well know. I mean, he was the one who, who played the fiddle while Rome was burning, and he, he blamed the Christians for Uh, the fact that Rome was burned, and he persecuted Christians in ways that were just horrid. Nero died in 68, um, and um, he died of suicide, but his life, he was foul. I mean, he just was foul. And the history says that uh, Antipas, the bishop there of the churches in that area, uh, was actually, um, he was tortured and the way he died was he was put inside a a, a very large uh, metal a sculpture of a of a of a bull, and then that thing there was a fire kindled under it, and he he died in that way, and that's just horrific. But Jesus mentions this guy um, now from Pergamon, you see there on the map, going to the left, you see Smyrna. And Smyrna was the place where there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of shrines, really big buildings, shrines. And Jesus not only talks about the throne of Satan being in per- Pergamon, but in then Smyrna, Smyrna, he speaks about um, the, uh, the tabernacles of Satan. And um, that word Smyrna is taken from the, the name Myrrh. And it, the burden was there. Uh, Christians were persecuted there in, in really big time ways. If you, if you lived in Smyrna, you were putting your faith to the fire. And in fact, of all the seven churches, Smyrna is the one that Jesus doesn't really chastise. I mean, because they're, they're just giving themselves. But so you have Pergamon with the throne of Satan, and then you have the next city down uh, to, the, to the west, or to your left, is this city that was um, on the water, but it had a lot of different temples but then you come down further to Ephesus, which we know a lot about, particularly from Paul's travels, uh, Acts nineteen and and thereabout. And and Ephesus, as we've studied before, was a place that was known for for demonic idols and fetishes and things that were were constructed for superstition and for uh, idol worship. And um, in, in the in the ancient world, um, if something was was made for a demon and it was of really great quality in his artisanship, they said it was Ephesian. And we we remember that Diana of Ephesus, uh, Artemis was, um, remember Alexander the coppersmith and those guys that rose up who made their money making these types of idols, and they brought all those thousands of people together in that amphitheater and they they great yelled greatest diana of ephesus and paul was there and he escaped from the city because they were going to kill him and the lord warned him to go you remember all this story so those three things from Pergamon to smyrna and to ephesus really spoke of the demonic kingdom and and it it is really something very interesting to remember when you read about what jesus How Jesus presents Himself to them, and what He says about what those what those cities entail. So I would say that the things that Jesus says to them are really directions for us as to how to deal with that type of thing. Now, an interesting thing before we come back down through Thyatira, we are going to read the scripture, is that. In our day, you might think, oh, that's ancient history. Pergamon, Pergamus, why do we care about that? Well, if you've got something that's called the throne of Satan, uh, back in the late 1800s, German archaeologists discovered this structure. And they, they discovered it, and they somehow, over the course of the next decades, transported it up to Berlin. And you've seen footage in Nuremberg when Adolf Hitler had the rallies at the stadium of, uh, of, um, was it? Uh, I can't remember. It's just slipped my mind. It'll come to me. That big stadium where they had the Nazi Party rallies and thousands and thousands of soldiers. And then they had those, all those women that would dress in white and they would dance around. And it was there that Hitler declared that he was going to, um, that he was going to attack Poland. And, and really the beginning of World War II was spoken there. So why is that? There was this little stage that you see Hitler and Goebbels and um, uh, the other Nazi leaders, a little stage there, and that was structured after the throne of Satan. And they even brought the artifacts from this city, Pergamum, and put it there. And so, when you see on the Smithsonian channel or wherever you're watching The World at War or whatever, and you see Hitler there, you know, and he's proclaiming, and all these thousands of people are Sig Heil and, and he's doing all this stuff, which is really kind of a spooky thing to see. It was based off of their belief that the power of Satan, the power of Zeus in in the, in the Greek mentality, was was empowering them to be able to conquer the world because the Nazis were real big about spiritism. And, and so you say, well, what does Pergamos and Pergamon have to do with us? Well, <laughs> about 70 years ago, it had a lot to do with what was going on. Now, am I saying that Satan fueled Hitler? Of course he did. Am, am I saying that the power that was represented for Pergamon uh, in the demonic realm, was in some ways enlisted by the Nazis? Well, probably. These artifacts, these things devoted to, to demons, was was there, and they cherished them. Now, when, when the, uh, the Russians came and um, started to pilfer as many things as they could from, uh, from Germany, uh, they took this thing back to Leningrad. They, they took all those artifacts back. What they did with them there, nobody really knows. I think they probably just Indiana Jones didn't put it in a box. Uh, but then finally, those things were returned, and they're somewhere. I think I don't know. I'm, I'm not giving you a, a history tour of the museum artifacts. But the point though is, is that this this thing that Jesus spoke about was a very real thing. So much so that in our world, one of the greatest horrific. Things that happened in in the lifetime of, of my parents and of some of you um, was something that was acted upon by this throne of Satan, and I think that's a very fascinating thing. So um, you come down then to Thyatira. So let's turn back, and you see then Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Let's turn back over to page one where the writing is. Um, When you have on the left-hand side, Ephesus and Smyrna, Jesus speaks talk, he talks about Ephesus first, spiritism that affects people, and whether you're going to be on the front lines believing the demonic or whether you're going to be on the front lines as Ephesus was, fighting the good fight. And then he speaks about Smyrna, which was the city of temples. And he speaks about those bearing the burden, And then he talks about Pergamos, where he says the throne of Satan, the desire for world domination. And he speaks about Balaam, who who was a prophet that spoke to leaders trying to keep the people of God from moving forward. And then he speaks of the Nicolaitans. You hear about the Nicolaitans a couple of times in, in these seven. And if you read your commentaries, you'll find that we really don't know who these people are. We don't know what it means. It means to conquer the people. But basically what it is, is what we see operative in our world today. Anything goes. Just whatever you want to do It's fine with you. Whatever your truth is, you just find it. And people will flock to that like bees to honey. And, you know, Jesus says he hates that. But here is where you find the Nicolaitans mentioned in Pergamos, because it it really is a recruiting thing for whatever, a recruiting uh, uh, device for whatever Satan is wanting to do. Now, so if you come down the right-hand side of, of the map, from Pergamos, you see Theatira. or Thyatira. Now, we know about Thyatira, and we're going to read this, these verses here because I think this really applies to the season we have most recently been in and are emerging from, and it's a warning for us. Um, you, you see Thyatira. We know about Thyatira because when Paul came over into Macedonia, you Remember? There was Lydia, seller of purple, and she was from Thyatira. Thyatira was the creative base of the people. It was, it, if, if uh, this was today, China would be stealing all their secrets uh, because it was creative. And and they, they knew how to, 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 to make dyes, which was for clothing and for other types of things. And they, they were chemists of great, Impact and they had um, they had a lot of creativity, but the point is that Lydia really represents what Thyatira uh, demonstrated. Somebody that was of great skill, somebody that was had business smarts, somebody that God could touch their heart. And turn them to righteousness. But now on the other hand, you have the demonic realm, which is why Jezebel is mentioned there. Um, you have the demonic realm that is also recruiting. Um, and you speak about the, the keeper of seasons and the exusio over nations. Okay, so all of that being said, let's read this passage. Uh, oh, well, no. Before we read the passage, let's just talk about the other three cities and we'll come back to the passage. After Theatira was Sardis. Now, Sardis was the money capital. Sardis was where they first minted gold coins. They, they, they found metals, gold and silver. They found um, gems there. And, but it, it was a place of wealth. They had a name but really no life. Um, they they had power, and that's why Jesus warns them about the thief coming. It wasn't so much about the rapture. It was about the money that they they lived. And I, there's some nations. There's a nation that I can think of right now where this spirit is very strong in, where they've got lots of money. They have life, but they really don't do anything. And they want you to know how much money they have. And they their money controls different things, but you ask them to do anything. Well, we might and we might not that's the type of atmosphere that this Sardis uh, represented. So if you have the throne and then you have people that are creative, then you're going to have money. And that that's a base that's there. Even, even it's the root of evil, but the rest of the tree and all the fruit and everything else goes on other places. Philadelphia. Now, the three big cities when, when this kingdom was established were Pergamos, Theatera, and Philadelphia. Why is it called the city of brotherly love? It's not because, um, people kiss one another when they, you know, we like being with you, so let's form a city. And it's, it's not that they were rude at football games and threw batteries at the Dallas Cowboys. It's not that. Any of you are Cowboys fans, you know what I'm talking about with Philadelphia. I'm from Pittsburgh, so I don't really care about Philadelphia. But Philadelphia, the the, the ruler of Pergamos, had no heir, and he had a brother, and he wanted to give the kingdom to his brother. He didn't want there to be uh, his brother rise up and kill him so he could take the kingdom, and he really loved his brother. So he said, why don't you set up your city, and you rule there with the knowledge that when I die, it's all going to be yours. And, and so the Philadelphia was really representative in what's written there as somebody that is going to be given authority in the kingdom and somebody that is going to indicate the transfer of power. That, that's what these cities represented. So they're all connected. They're all connected. They, they all function together. It's not like Jesus, the risen Lord, comes with fire in his eyes and he just starts talking wackily about crazy cities this is all connected. This is the Prince of Grisha, which impacted every nation since that time. Rome just basically came in and stole away the identity of Greece, named it by different names, and did it the way they wanted to do it. Hitler obviously built his demonic empire, short-lived. It didn't quite last a thousand years, did it? But after this same thing, um, and then if you have the transfer of power, he's got his brother here, then you have Laodicea. It's like the suburb that benefits from all of these wealthy and uh, worldly things. And um, it, it really was where the people would go and they would have their vacation homes or they would have their, uh, their properties, their villas, And it really was an area of, of great wealth and opulence, which is why Jesus says, you know, you're rich. You say, I have need of nothing. And he talks about that. This progression is something that we face when we go around the world. We face this as a structure. We face each individual dynamic of each of these cities in various ways. This is the operational diagram of the world system and the way Satan operates. And and so to understand that really gives the meaning for how Jesus presents himself, how he describes himself, what he instructs. He's not really, we often read it, and we say, well, look at that church there. Well, they sure screwed up. See, he's straightening them out, you know. He's really giving advice for how we thrive in the midst of these influences and what we should do to guard ourselves as we face them. This is really an operations manual for us. And and I believe that, you know, if we took each one of these churches, which we might do, and say... What does this represent in the world and in the demonic kingdom? What, do, How does Jesus present himself to this? Uh, what, what are the things we need to watch out for? What are the antidotes? This is, this is a totally fresh way of viewing. Honestly, I, I, I don't mean this badly, but when I read through the book of Revelation and I hear Jesus speaking about these seven churches... And I think, well, that's interesting, you know, like I said earlier, it's not cherry pick was a bad word, but, you know, I look at this, we aligned them with the seven spirits, which fits, but there are all, uh, there are several other different cycles that the spirit has, it's like an atom, uh, that, that all play into this. This is, these seven churches are some of the most dynamic words that our Lord gives. Why would Jesus the risen Lord, appeared to John, the one he loves, and share this in such graphic detail. It is an untapped resource for us, and we need, I know there's been a lot written about it, but nothing to the degree that God's beginning to show us as a pneumatic people, and I'm grateful for that. Um, And, but honestly, I'd read through that. And then the next part after the seven churches is that there was a door come up hither. And, you know, we talk about the risen Lord then as a lamb slain. And, you know, that's great. We, we studied about that in heaven and we went through the temple of the tabernacle and we talked about so many things. And God continues to show things for us as intercessors. I'm grateful for that. But that's been the main focus for me because that's what we've been living. And now all of a sudden, God's saying, okay, look at these. Why did I say this? And and I'm I'm just stunned. I'm stunned first of all that I, I'm I'm no Einstein, but I'm I'm stunned that in all the times I've studied, I've never seen this. I, I'm stunned. Um and, and I pray that God will help us to further clearly understand what it is that. That we need to learn and know for what is soon to be a launching into the world. Because, and we're going to, again, I keep threatening to read. I put those scriptures on there for a reason. We're going to read that. We will get to it. Um, But, you know, the Lord said that, you know, you you even look at the way the Lord has positioned the saints' network. And what what we've known God is doing where we're to be going into the places that God opens up in the nations and go in there and teach those that will stand in as an indigenous influence uh, to be as saints there praying and welcoming the kingdom there and then to make disciples of them, so that they then can do those things that God says in his word and to teach it to others. It's the megas flow. And we know that God has spoken about the Elishas that are coming, but we know that God has also opened up lots of different frameworks where we're, we're being positioned, mobilized uh, as an act of war to prepare to equip these army units and to teach them. And God has been structuring it throughout uh, the new equipment that he gave us. And we were ready. I mean, we were, we were ready to go. We had st- at least four major operations in different parts of the world scheduled. You know this. You bought the airfare to go and to be part of it. And then all of a sudden, things shut down. No travel. You know, you live through it. And that's been frustrating. <laughs> I know the Lord's in it, but it, it's been frustrating. You know, my engines were revved up and ready to go and then stop. And I thought, well, Lord, what are you doing? Um, but I think that the words to, to Thyatira is, is really where we are right now because this whole city was designed to speak to those that are called to be leaders called to use their creativity, called to be inventive, and to really touch the world. I would say that out of all these cities, um, Ephesus, yeah, they sent demonism and uh, lots of other um, uh, fetishes, idols throughout the known world, but none of these cities impacted the world like Thyatira did because it was fashion. It was the, the the cool things. It was what everybody wanted, whether you were worshiping idols or not. Everybody wanted this color. Everybody wanted these clothes. Everybody wanted this fashion, and it impacted everybody. And, and so in the midst of that city, God says these words. Drum roll, please, Ken, would you go to the drum set? Play them real loud. We're going to read it now. This is to the church at Thyatira. Now, I've just talked about these. Let's see what Jesus says. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Let's talk about that for a minute. When the eyes of the Lord are as a flame of fire, it's speaking about the application of judgment and burning in places. The ways of God speaking about judgment and burning. What God has said. The judgments of God. What God wants. What God has ordained. And the burning of that function. And then he has feet like fine brass. Now if you study this word you'll find that this isn't just speaking about regular brass. Fine brass. This was a rare derivative and um, Josephus, the, Roman, the, the Jewish Roman historian, said that this word was used to describe a particular type of metalwork that combined, um, that combined gold and silver. So it really wasn't brass. It was gold and silver, and it was formed together by really a specialist at metalworking, and the end result was almost white but it was shiny. So you have gold and silver for the feet, which means this is the proper structure. God's authority and his faith and his place, and his lieutenants all taking stand where they're supposed to be. That's very important. This is what Jesus is, is, is standing. He's represented as this. His feet are as gold and silver together. Silver is a lieutenant's color. Gold is the optimal of, of his ways, his truth. It's a faith shown forth. So you have his feet standing that way. So, you know, really speaking of structure, people being in the proper place, in points of, of essential authority, and the fire of the eyes of the ways of God. That's how Jesus represents to this city. That's important. Um, I know your works, your charity, your service. We've studied all these words, so I'm not going to define them all. You, you should know the definitions of these. Your faith your patience, and your works again, the last being more than the first. You've gone through the rotation, and now you're willing to invest yourself again in a greater way, building upon what God has. It's a line upon line of service. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. And this really does describe the time that we're in. You have suffered the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, was Jezebel? You know, we've studied this before many times. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. Her name means a virgin dedicated to Baal. She had 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth that Elijah killed at the brook. Remember that? So she was in the business of training those that would minister in the demonic realm. And she was busy at it. She wasn't letting any grass grow under her feet. She she uh, was dedicated to the world system. Baal, Beelzebub, represent outposts in the management of those outposts of the demonic realm. We know that as well from our study in the scripture. So here is this woman who... Is is mentioned by Jesus or the influence of this? And th- what what does she do? She teaches that uh, that um, uh, uh, seducing a, a different pathway, a seducing spirit, which Jesus said the Bible says in the last days there will be seducing spirits. It's it's a different pathway in many ways parallel to the true pathway. That's what seducing is. It's not. It doesn't really have anything to do with sexual things. It has to do with a variant, a, a pathway that is, that is obvious but different from the true pathway. And, um, and to commit fornication, this always in the scripture speaks about giving yourself, instead of giving your love to God, giving it to, to demonic idols. Israel was accused of being adulterous because they married the demons instead of staying with the Lord. And and so you have these two factors by this influence that trains and develops people with skills and gifts to do seducing things and really partner with the demonic. Do you see all that? So on the one hand, you have Jesus looking at this place of creativity. He's got the fire in his eyes and his feet firmly established of gold and silver, uh, which speaks of the structure of the Lord. And, and, and opposing that, you have this being that recruits young to, to give their giftings to a partnership with the demonic that is a different pathway. There's the true pathway and then there's everybody else's truth and God says this is what this influence does. That really serves the demonic entity known as Beelzebub which is those pockets of management of the various systemes that the enemy controls. I'm saying all these things to you and to the Saints Network because we've studied these various things for years. I mean, this is like a physics class. And I apologize to any of you who just stumbled in and you're thinking, hey, he ain't preaching the word. Well, I am speaking the word. I'm just speaking it from a pneumatic perspective. And I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying I apologize to any of you who I'm not taking point by point to explain this. Now, it's interesting to eat things sacrificed to idols. You know, Paul the Apostle wrote about how, look, the only thing you have to be concerned with is there, is if somebody's hung up on meat sacrificed to idols, just don't let them see you eat it. That's basically what Paul says. And but But if you look at why Jesus mentioned this, the word is not contradicting itself. Why does Jesus mention this? If you look what that term means, um, it's, it doesn't really say meat sacrifice of idols. It just speaks about the type of meat. And this, this word was used to describe ingesting something that welcomed the demonic to take control of your whole body. So he was linking this to the seducing pathway, and he was linking this to being married to the demonic and he says, the things that you are doing in regard to that are basically submitting everything that you are to the demonic realm. And we're seeing this all over. <laughs> we're just seeing it acted out. It, it may be, it, it, it's being depicted by the media and by modern society and social media in a lot of different ways, but we're just basically seeing this right now. So on the one hand, the Lord said to us, You need to go forth and you need to go to the places, the outposts around the world that I'm calling you to and you need to go and you need to train people that I am awakening and you need to establish them as sons, training them as disciples of the word of God and so that they will stand there. On the other hand, you've got the demonic that is trying to do the same thing. And this is represented by this spirit, uh, this entity that really represents a virgin devoted to Baal. Make sense? Let's keep looking. I think that this next part here is really where the Lord has had us. I gave her space to repent of her partnering with the demonic, and she did not repent I wonder about this, and I wonder this is why the Lord said that phrase to me yesterday. Um, This whole pause over the past two years, where basically the world shut down, space to turn, space to repent. Uh, I think God does a lot of things during the space. It it, it extends to the world to, to maybe recognize do you see what it is that you're shoveling? Do you see what it is that you're, you're spouting? And, and I, I think there are some people who are on the bandwagon of this who are now getting a full smell of what it is. Some of them are saying maybe this isn't the right course. I'm not going to go into point after point of what's been happening, but um, I think that the Lord is really saying, okay, you can see the positioning of the demonic realm for the end time. You can see how the enemy is trying to do test cases of the things that are prophesied in the time that the scripture speaks about of the end. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause this right here so that you will recognize, if you listen, the the plight that you're really in. And you can turn from it if you want. And some have. Many have. The other part of this space to repent is that it has given us the opportunity to really go before the Lord and allow him to change us. We talked about transition for a couple of years. God was warning it before this even happened. But the mindset of of perhaps not not a change in our mission, but a change in our mindset. Um, And and isn't that often the way? God promises something, he prophesies something, and we think, okay, this is what God said, and this is how he's going to do it. How many things did we know God was going to do, and the way that he finally did it was totally different than the way all of us absolutely knew he was going to do it? Isn't that true? I mean, I look back in some of the greatest things that I've ever seen God do, and the way he did it fulfilled what he said, but was done in a totally different way than what I absolutely knew he was going to follow and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or a bunch of amens, but I've seen it happen in your life. I mean, God just is going to, his ways are past finding out. You just got to keep following. There's a way that seems right in a man, but the end is restruc- destruction. God is going to direct, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And so I have to admit that over the past couple of years, we've stayed busy. We've been We've been being... Uh, outfitted and equipped to do the work that's coming. Um, I was frustrated, as I've said many times, because, and you know, I didn't doubt God, but uh, you know, uh, I was frustrated that we wanted to get out on the road, we wanted to get in the in the into the air and see these various things that that God had established. And, uh, but God does that. We studied about this, you know. Well, even, and I'm not going to go back through the, the study, but case in point with Paul, when he went into Macedonia, he was fully equipped to go in a totally different direction. He had direction. He had people praying. He had people submitting finances. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit said, stop. I, my, the Spirit is not letting me go here, the Scripture says. You're going to go over this way. Come over here. Is God confused? Was Paul confused? No. And we, again, forgive me. I send this for the 50th time. We've taught on this before. God has his ways, and he's more interested in whether we're going to follow or whether we're going to barge on because we've planned things the way we want to do it. And so I think that God is, is really giving us... Um, uh, a time where, and we'll read this in a minute, where he's searching the, the reins in the hearts. He's searching uh, whether we will process things. Rains is the same word as kidneys. Um, the reins connect there. Are, are we willing to let God process through us and refine us and cleanse us in the way he wants to? Are we willing to yield our heart, the steering wheel of our life, to let him be in control I think for us, that's been something during this space that God's been working in us. And even in the middle of the night, the other night, I was praying, and I I suddenly had this just understanding that, you know, as you study through the history of Christianity, it's like the base of how God's moving moves from one country to the next. Just in our, in our, the past couple of hundred years, you can look and see, like, the role that uh, European countries had, and then it transferred to us in so many ways, in the United States, and sadly, I think that this nation is probably going to lose that. Designation if it hasn't already. And I think what God told us many years ago that South America is going to form a major part of the end time army for the saints. And I think that's why God is sending us there. And for those of you who've been able to go or will be going, you will see the hunger that God has put in those millions of people to serve God. They've not been infected yet by the world. God has preserved them. They're 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 hungry. They're desirous for the things of the spirit. And as an American that I'm happy about that, but I grieve over our country. I see the wickedness that is openly openly welcomed and followed after. And and I I can't in all do in all due honesty, say that God's pleased by this at all. And um, I do believe that God is going to bring a a move of his spirit. And I think that many are going to be touched. And I think that God is going to do things that are going to astound the world. And I think this nation will be given an opportunity. And many people will come into the fold. Many people Will, will turn from evil and come to God. But the base of the demonic is so deeply entrenched now that people who control the nation will not turn. And I think that the judgment of God will come. Which explains to me why as I read in the, the eschatological literature, I really don't see the United States. You can think about the great eagle and say all you want about that that, I think, was fulfilled more in 1948. And I, I think that, um, I don't want to get into that discussion, but I, I grieve as an American for, for, what, for what we see and what we know is, is, is happening real time right now. Has our country ever been perfect? No. Have we had debauchery and sin? Yes. Have we abused people? Yes. No question. But what's happening throughout all that time period is that there were always a base of people who called out to God. And that's why God spared this nation and miraculously gave us victory after victory. We're surrendering that. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I'm not damning America. I'm just reading the box score. That's where we are. And God is giving space to repent. I think that space is going to be, is going to have fulfilled its time. And we're going to be able to go and we're going to be able to transact what God has said about. And, and we'll go to the places that we know God has already called us to go. But those are at least going to be matched by places that we've been praying about that have not opened yet, but will. And we'll have a season of time to be able to do that to work when it is yet light, for the night comes and no man can work. So we will be busy. We will be functioning. We're still getting ready for that. Um, but, I, I, and I, I don't like saying this. I, I, don't, I don't like saying this because, you know, I, I'd like for it to be spaced out. Many of us have children and grandchildren. We don't want them to have to face darker days. I don't, I don't want, none of us want that. So I take no pleasure in saying this. But I think if anybody's paying attention at all, you must be, you have to be appalled at the evil that is not only being done, but is being legislated and being pursued as fast as wicked minds can pursue it. And God's not going to let that go on forever. He's just not. And so you see Jezebel, you see, uh, you see this confluence of Jesus wanting to establish people in their base of standing with Him, fulfilling the function of the Spirit of judgment and burning in His ways, and to train those. Who with creativity to stand and impact the world and positioning that, but at the other hand, you see the demonic realm that is there. Um, Jesus says, I have something against you that you let this happen. Some churches have just gone right along with it. Um, we've seen that. You can drive up this road and see two major churches that do it every week, and they don't, they don't shy away from telling you they're doing it. Um, but this is what's happening. You see a whole generation of young people that are being taught things that are not true. And if anybody raises a voice against the false that's being taught, they're canceled. You have universities that do not believe in any way in free speech anymore. This is just the truth. It's just there. And, and, you know... uh, these are the leaders of the next generations. So, this is the boy, I've veered off into doom and gloom, haven't I? I don't hear any amens. I, I hear some uh-huhs, but that's where we are. Are we downtrodden because of it? Well, yes, as people who hate to see this nation under God now being under every de- despicable thing possible. But we rejoice. That we're serving our Lord. Let's see what else he says. And I gotta be careful with this next part. Um, because she repented not, I will cast her into a bed. Now, this word for bed there is not some Manihari ne'er do well bed. This, this is a bed that is very narrow. It's, um, it's often used as a sick bed. It's, it's often used as almost like a, um, how fitly, uh, it's often used as a, um, what do they call that thing when they're, uh, my, why am I forgetting things? I mean, my mind is just, it's just worrying. When you're transporting a wounded soldier and you're carrying, what is that called? Well, a cot, but what? Not a cot, a stretcher. Thank you, Whew. man, man. Uh, it's it talks about this. So, this this type of, and it could also mean one of those narrow kind of things you saw in in the depictions that are painted on the walls at Pompeii where the 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 person's laying there and they're having grapes fed to them it's just it's something uh you can't do much on it other than eat or be carried or nursed as sickness this is the type of thing that the lord says they're going to be cast into to those that are partnering openly married to the demonic and um and, and and great tribulation, great measures of oppression, great measures of things taxing them, except they repent of their deeds. Now, look at this. I will kill her children with death. That seems like a, a misnomer. How do you kill somebody with death? I mean, that's, it, it, it's kind of a weird phrase, unless you view it in this way. There's going to be, um, what Right now, you see a rise in suicide. If you kill somebody with death, that means that they've taken their own life. They have chosen death. There are also going to be a lot of things, and I hate to say this, where it's, it's, they're just going to be taken away. There's just going to be unexplainable death. And this is going to come upon, it says the children, uh, but it really represents the young who are in this mode of the Jezebel structure. I don't like saying that, but this is, this is what is already beginning to come and, and it, it is going to be coming more and more beyond the suicide, which you recognize that that has risen dramatically over the past year, particularly. This space to repent has created a lot of emotional challenges in young people. And there there is an incredible rise, not only in murders, not only in violence, but in suicide. And what we haven't really seen yet is just people just dropping dead. And that, you know, you think about the, the time, the first Passover, when the firstborn that night were just killed as the sons were, rose up and, and went forward toward promise. Um, that's the kind of thing that this is representing. Um, what else? It's really good, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay. They do a bed, then they commit adultery, great tribulation. They repent of their deeds... Uh, I will kill children with death. And all the churches, I mentioned this earlier, the ecclesia will know that right now I am searching the reins and hearts. I'm searching what you allow to be going on and how you process what's going on in your life, because that's what kidneys do, and the steering wheel of your life. I'm testing that right now. Did you recognize that God is testing that in you right now? During this season of of, of being um, uh, space, the season of space, of waiting. We, we talked a lot about the heart over the past couple of months, the steering wheel, and we've, we've talked about how you process things. How, how are you viewing things? Is your, is your perception aligned with what God's really doing? The Lord is doing that for us. I will give to every one of you according to how you function in that how you apply your energies, your ergon, how you apply your energies to that. I'm going to reward you and, and give to you for what's coming according to how you let the Spirit process in that way. But I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the bathos of Satan. Whew seems like over the past year at one of our seminars we laid out in very specific methodical detail the bathos of satan the depths of wickedness the cosmic reality of the demonic realm it is there and it is being embraced by universities uh, the highest levels of universities and and permeated down through the the structure of teachings um, have not known the depths of, of of Satan as they speak. I will put upon you none other burden. This is another factor. And this is a baros. This is where we get barometric pressure. This is atmospheres. And how many times over the past couple of years have we said, have you noticed just this shift? You can feel this weightiness of the de- demonic you can feel the oppression of the enemy come in it's like a barometric system and and this is part of this maneuver of the enemy the pathos of satan and this depth and jesus said you faced it but i'm not going to let this really come in and and crush you you know if you if you went you study these old these old war movies, and you see submarine warfare, and those guys are going down. You hear that, that ship start to creak, and they say, this ship isn't designed for this level. You can't go any. They don't just crush us like an empty can, you know. That's what pressure does. That's what this baros does, and we've been feeling it, the philipsis around us, but God's not going to let it get to the point where it crushes us. I think that's very interesting, too, I like these next, I really like these, these next ones, but that which you have already hold fast. This is krateo. You stay firmly by the throne. You function on behalf of the power of the throne. This is what kratos is. You stay so close there to the right hand of the throne, and you trust in that Because no matter what the demonic does, no matter what the Jezebel's influences do, no matter what's being taught in the bathos of Satan, no matter what barrows of of demonic atmospheres there may be, if you stay by the throne, you will make it. And then it says, till I come, hold fast till I come, hold the fort for I am coming. <laughs> Hold the fort for I am come. Remember that old song which came out of the Civil War, a memorandum? <laughs> you know that. Uh, but this till I come, this is an interesting thing that Jesus says because this term was used in the demonic realm. It's like he's making light of the demonic because he has the power of the throne. This, this is how the enemy would say in his shrines, in his tabernacles, in his throne, to, to the minions that served, you go and you do this in this place, you don't do anything else, you represent uh, what I'm telling you to do, and you hold on. It speaks about his stems, it speaks about times, it speaks about seasons. This is used throughout the Hellenistic world, this word here. And this is the way the enemy functioned. But here Jesus says the power of the throne triumphs all of that. You don't worry about what the enemy is saying. You stand firmly by my authority in the place where I've called you for the season that I am putting you in according to the times that I give you. I think that's, that's just... That is a triumphant phrase. We read that in the past, and we think, well, that brother, that's talking about the rapture. Hold fast till I come. Sister, are you holding fast? He could come at any moment. He could come before this service ends. You know, that's the way this was taught, and we should be ready. But what Jesus is talking about is operative battlefield instruction, and he's saying no matter what the enemy's doing, I am with you. My eyes of fire are directing my ways. You are standing in authority, and I'm bringing those who will stand in the places that I called. My people will serve. Yes, the enemy is recruiting. Yes, he's doing these things. I am trying to minister to them, but you hold on, and you be what you're supposed to be. I will not Cause atmospheres to come that you will not be able to 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 withstand. I will not cause you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. I am giving you the victory, so you stay in line with my throne, and you trust that what I'm saying is going to happen for your histeme, for your terio. You trust what I'm saying in the season is what's really going on. You trust what I'm saying in the kairos moment. That's what Jesus says here, and I think that's exciting he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end i will give exousia over the nations and i will and he shall rule with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall be bro- they be broken to shivers now i don't know how this is going to be but it's the picture of of god and you know, what is exousia we've studied this in the hierarchy words um The exousia is, first you've got the throne, then you've got the eternal structure of the arche, you remember this, and then from that, authority is given, right? And then after that, function of dunamis, and then you let that spread, the megas, those are the five power words in the New Testament, they align perfectly with the five power words of the Old Testament. So the exousia here is saying, in harmony with what was just said, you're at the throne. I, as the Lord Jesus, am standing with this, these beautiful burnished feet of, of authority and those that are called to stand in that authority I am, I am putting that in position and because you are in that position, you then have authority in these nations and whatever has been put together in man's ways, the rod of authority that I'm giving you is going to bust those all just like glass that breaks. I don't know how that's going to manifest itself. I think it will happen as we're on site or when we're in certain areas of the world. The things that we read that are going to happen where um, the authority that God is giving to his people, you read about it in, in the scripture. You read about what's going to happen, where rain is going to be withheld, and rain is going to be given, and healings are going to happen. You know, that's another thing about Pergamos. That was the healing capital of the world at that point, they thought. And, and uh, alongside this, this throne of Satan, were all of these apothecaries and all of these people that specifically were were designed to give people life and vitality and healing and whether it worked or not I know that lying signs and wonders happen I know that um, Simon the sorcerer was able to do things and the people said he was the great power of God that was there but you know the thing is is that I'm going to give Exousia over the nations and um Even as my Father directs me, I will give him the morning star. That place in the heavens that the enemy vacated, that place where the sons of the Most High are going to be functioning as as moving and demonstrating the ways of God upon the earth. And then it says, he that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the ecclesia. Yeah, I was thinking about this. He that has an ear. Why doesn't it say he that has a mouth? Since we're supposed to be able to make declaration and declare and decree everything into being. Why does it say that? Why does it say he that has eyes? Oh, I can see things. I sure can tell. Boy, look at that over there. Look at that over there. Man, I don't like that. Well, you can just see right through that. Why does not it say he that has an eye? Now, we talked about spiritual vision, and that's important. But it says he that has an ear. Because every part of this, if we're not in commune with what God is saying as an intercessor and listening to him, we can misinterpret. We can, we can totally miss what God is doing, what he's whispering to his friends, the prophets, before he does something. What he's saying in the still small voice to the man who, who through the power of God, destroyed those prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth during Jezebel's day. We've got to learn the importance of hearing and perceiving what God is saying. I, I just think this is a very interesting thing, and I do believe that we're going to be looking at... Um, we're going to be looking at each of these factors because it's important why would jesus begin this book with these things i mean this is it's just like the a great gift that he gives us for the end time and and so we we learn of we learn of this you know basically because of this guy alexander um <laughs> the entire civilized world functioned in ancient Greek. We still study that language today when we study the scriptures. And But that's not the only thing that is communicated here. Jesus could have talked about Rome. He didn't. He could have talked about Egypt. He didn't. He talked about this remnant, from Alexander the Great, and he pointed it out right there. I'll say one more thing, and then I'm done. Before we went in in 2004 to Africa, um, or was it 2003? 2003, that's right. Um, There was a a representative group that went to uh, Athens, and went to Rhodes. Um, And we went because we felt the Lord said to go there. The interesting thing about Rhodes is that this structure right here, uh, when um, Rome then came into be, and then um, the time of the Middle Ages came, and the Templars came, The Templars set up their operation in Rhodes to specifically manage Philadelphia and to manage this whole system. And and I, I just think that's interesting. And I, you know, Colossus of Rhodes was all about this system functioning to control the Mediterranean and the known world. There was something that happened through the activations done there in conjunction with that massive trip to England and Africa that at the time we didn't really realize. I'm not sure we do yet. But I think that there was an empowerment for this. And systematically over the years God has been teaching us the different definitions and the different principles and the different things that we read about in each of these churches and now which is really what God's been doing a lot recently. He's, he's putting together a summation, putting grouping things together to so that we can apply what we've learned to see how it functions together. And that is here. So I know I said a lot of things today, and uh, I don't have anybody jumping in the aisles. Um, you know, that's not really how you build a church. <laughs> Duh. But maybe it's the way you build the Ecclesia. Because our job is to train those of you who are being given exousia in the nations. Our job is to train prophets, intercessors, to not only function on behalf of what's going on in the heavens, but here on earth. And as we do those things, then to teach and train the hundreds of pastors And the thousands of people that are right now, right now, not in the sweet by and by, but right now looking to this house and this network weekly for training. You understand that, I hope. And it's only going to increase. So it's important that we not only grasp this, but that we see ourselves in it and we begin to apply what our risen Lord has said. Um, it's very helpful to know how did Jesus appear in regard to the throne of Satan? What were the restrictions and the warnings? How did Jesus appear in the base of financial capital in the world? How did he represent himself to them? How did he function there? It's all laid out here. It really is. Every dynamic of mankind is listed in these seven churches. Everything we will face as we go in the world uh, and the direction of the Spirit is is represented here. And this is why Jesus takes the time to, to describe who he is when he addresses them. And he does it in different ways. Isn't that something? Why didn't he just say the name that is above every name? I, Jesus, say this to you. Instead, he meticulously describes himself in in various dimensions of divine authority, specifically for that city and how it flows in the structure of world events. I just think it's very, very interesting. Some of you, if you you have time at some point in the next couple of days, it's easy to do. Look. Look at some of those old footages from the 1930s and you'll see the throne of Satan and there's Hitler speaking to it and all those Nazis lined up for war and then they have all those celebrations and fires burning. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, this, this stuff is real and we're not glorifying any fallen regime. I'm glad we defeated that nonsense. But we the enemy that empowered it is still alive, and that's who we're battling for our Father. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you for this and um, help us to, to know how to make this very plain. For operations purposes and to function before you further inspire us with the with the vision you spoke about prophetically earlier to be able to see this clearly and understand it and be able to apply it and teach it. This is you, Lord, and we want to understand why you said what you said and what you said. And I, I pray that you will bless. These saints. Now, earlier it was prophesied in song, a greater vision, and we step into that. But help us to hear, and help us to to understand, and let us be ready. Protect your people. I ask you, Father, that you'll provide for everything that we need. I ask you, Lord, that you would release financial provision. I ask that you will release physical function in healing into bodies. I, I send the word of the Lord. He sent his word and healed them. I send that forward today. You said, Lord, if we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you would add everything that we need to us. And, Lord, if there's anything we've done during this message, I have not focused on the physical needs of the people. We've totally focused on your kingdom and your righteous vision. And we're happy for that. But now, Father, we we ask that you would fulfill that promise. Provide for your people. Let there be in this next week a great influx of provision from all measure of sources that you've chosen. And may, may you provide. And I thank you for that, Lord. May we be ready. May we be prepared. We love you, and we thank you for this, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. And um, what, I wonder what the temperature is outside. It's probably about 45 now. Some of you may just go out there in a T-shirt. You're, you're used to being 20 degrees. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.